All right, tonight, turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. Oh, did everybody get one of the blank outline sheets? We have an outline. Brother John, I think I left mine back there. If you can give me one so I have one as well. Um, we're going to get to Colossians chapter 2 in just a second. Thank you. Does anybody else need one? There we go. We're going we're gonna, to um, get to Colossians chapter 2 in just a minute. But you know, and I don't mean this in a prideful way at all, but we are a rare church. Um, we promote personal evangelism. We are attempting to build a church that has as its culture um, an aggressive approach to personal soul winning. And obviously our, our entire theme for this year is each one reach one. And if that doesn't give you an indication that our goal is for us to reach people outside of the walls of this church, then I don't know what will. Uh, why do we do that, though? Why do we emphasize soul winning? And so um, this series over the next few weeks is going to focus on a scriptural philosophy of soul winning, a scriptural philosophy of soul winning. Uh, that word philosophy is only used one time in Scripture, and it's actually used in a negative context. And we find it there in Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 8. Beware, lest any man spoil, spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Now, I want you to notice that it's not condemning all philosophy. It's condemning philosophy that is worldly philosophy. It says very plainly, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit that is after the tradition of men, that is after the rudiments of the world, and it's not after Christ. Philosophy is def defined in the dictionary in a couple ways. First of all, it's a set of ideas or beliefs re relating to a particular field or activity. It's an underlying theory. So somebody could have maybe an, an original philosophy of advertising. This is just the basics of why we do what we do. Um, and, and actually, you can put that down there as, as kind of the definition. That's the first blank to fill in there. The underlying theory or set of beliefs that explains why we emphasize soul winning is our philosophy. But it's also a system of values by which one lives. In other words, you could say that he has a very unusual philosophy of life. Um, but the root of that word, it comes from the Greek, and comes from the Latin, it comes from a, different a couple different roots, but the, the root of the word literally means a lover of wisdom. That's what philosophy is. And we can safely say then that philosophy cannot be unscriptural because we're called upon many, many times uh, throughout the Bible, but especially in the book of Proverbs, to love wisdom. But what we are to love is God's wisdom versus the world's wisdom. Philosophy, for the purposes of, of this series um, means the why behind what we do uh, and, we're, and what we're trying to develop in the area of becoming a soul winning church. So tonight, let's look at this part of the scriptural philosophy of soul winning, why we emphasize soul winning. Why do we emphasize soul winning? And I want to start off first of all by saying what's not the underlying theory behind our soul winning program. I think that might explain more about what's behind it by, by going at it from that angle. And the first thing is this, it's not because soul winning is a popular method. It's not because soul winning is a popular method. It's not because soul winning is a fad. Now, soul winning was a fad, I think, back in the 1960s and the 1970s. I think you could say that. There was basically every church. There was a lot of churches that were started in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. Many, many churches. 
uh, and a lot of those churches were out soul winning. And I think that had a lot to do with the fact that men like Jack Hiles and Lee Robertson and some of these guys in these really large churches were doing that. And everybody wanted to emulate these guys because, well, look, they're obviously super successful because they've got these huge churches. So whatever they're doing, we want to do. And Jack Hiles started really preaching soul winning. Lee Robertson was really preaching soul winning. Some of these other guys that had larger churches were really preaching and emphasizing soul winning. And so everybody did it. Everybody wanted to be as successful as these men. And so they went out. They jumped on that soul winning bandwagon. But that's no longer the case for most churches. Uh, a lot of those churches that were huge have either you know, folded and they're no longer a church or they've gone contemporary or they're just so small they're hardly, they're hardly a shell of what they used to be. Um, and kind of as some of those men that were really pushing soul winning faded away from the scene, so did soul winning. In, in fact, uh, it's, it's pretty, soul winning is pretty routinely criticized right. nowadays, right. Um, you know, particularly by the younger generation of pastors and even by laymen. Um, you hear all kinds of excuses for why that is. Well, you know, you're going to people's doors. You're running people away from God by putting pressure on them at their door to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. Uh, it doesn't work in our day and age anymore. You ever heard that, that excuse? It just doesn't work. It doesn't, we tried it. We tried it. We were trying to be scriptural with this thing, and it just doesn't work anymore. The message doesn't change, but the methods do. You ever heard somebody say that? The message doesn't change, but the methods do. Uh, the, our world is changing, and so we have to change with it. The message doesn't change, but how we get it out does. Now, I'll talk more about that in a minute, but it's not because soul winning is the popular method or the popular fad. The second reason why, uh, or an, another thing that is not part of our underlying philosophy, is it's not because we're trying to build a bigger church. Now, that might sound kind of counterproductive. I think a lot of church planners and pastors quit because that's their goal. They're trying to build a bigger church, and that's it. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of pressure to build a bigger church. We've been here for three years, just over three years, and, and uh, you know, a lot of churches that are our age have a lot of pressure on them to grow, to get bigger, to, to expand, to how come you're not in a building program yet? How come you're not doing this? How come you're not doing that? What's wrong with you guys there, you know? And there's a lot of pressure to do that. God never called us to build a big church, though. He called us to be soul winners. And if God wants us to have a church of 20 people, great. If he wants us to have a church of 20,000, great. If that's what he wants. But he didn't call us to build a big church. He called us to win souls. Amen. And now the natural kind of outgrowth of winning souls is that the church is going to grow. But that's not the reason why we go soul winning. Uh, we're trying to build a bigger church. Um, but if that was our primary focus, the obvious path is to take the same direction that all of these other contemporary churches are doing. You know, if our goal was to build a big church, then we'd have a, uh, you know, a rock band on the stage. We'd have all the lights darkened. We'd have a light show going on up here. We'd have all kinds of other things that they're doing in a lot of these churches today to bring people in. You know, we'd emphasize marketing. We'd emphasize relevance. We'd e emphasize entertainment. We've, we'd, we'd emphasize showmanship and all of these other things. And I'm not saying that every church uh, that's a contemporary church has that as their main motive, but most of them have that as their motive. And if all we were doing was trying to build a bigger church, you know, and you hear that a lot. Well, you know, we got to get them in to be able to give them the gospel. And that's true. You do have to be able to get them in to give them the gospel. But that philosophy is flawed from the start. God didn't say bring them in to preach the gospel to them. He said go out and preach the gospel to them. That's our job is to go out and win people for Christ. And that's what a soul winning emphasis is, is going out and winning people for Christ. We're not called to build a big church. We're called to win souls. 
The third reason is it's not because we are unwilling to change. And that was kind of what I talked about in that first point there. It's not because we're, we're unwilling to change. The Bible says, and you're there in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, and I think this is a great uh, verse to look at. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. I suppose there are some people who still go soul winning because that's all they've ever known. That's all they've ever done. They grew up in a church that went soul winning. They've, you know, I mean, and, and that's the case with me. The church that I grew up in was a soul winning church. They went out knocking on doors. They went out on visitation. They went out trying to win souls for Jesus Christ in a lot of different ways. And that's a great thing. Um, but it's not because I'm unwilling to change that we continue to do that. that you know, I, I think uh, a, a lot of these people who have that as their mindset are simply you know, washing clothes with a washboard because that's what their mother and their grandmother and their great-grandmother and everybody else always did. And, I mean, there's, there's better methods than that to wash your clothes on a washboard now, right? Um, uh, but uh, so, so I, I guess, uh, am I suspicious of change? Yes. Uh, am I very slow to change? Yes. Um, and, and I can tell you a lot of different stories, um, examples of things that go along with that. I won't, but things have been the way that they are for a long time for a reason. And I know times are changing, and I know things are different now than they used to be. The world is different now. Morality has, has dropped. Things are changing as far as our world goes. Um, and so I'm not saying that we're unwilling to change, but I'm very, very slow to change. There's a reason why all the good old preachers of the gospel did it this way. And if all we're doing is trying to change for the sake of changing or change because of everybody else is doing this, then we can very easily fall into a trap of something that's not going to work in the long run and, of course, move us away from the Bible. So I'm extremely cautious, cautious of change, but I'm willing to change if, if that change is in the right direction. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. One of the ways that I like to talk about doing things just a little bit differently today is relevance without compromise. There are plenty of churches who are not getting anybody in because they're no longer relevant in our society. And I don't mean, oh, well, we still sing to him, so we're not relevant anymore. Or we still have, you know, chairs, so we're not relevant anymore. We have lights, so we're not relevant. There, you have to be relevant to a certain extent. In other words, uh, I'll just use this for an example. If you're not, if you're not um, trying to reach people through things like Facebook and some of these other social media things, then you're missing out on a lot of ways that you could be reaching people and the ways that you could be bringing them in. I was, I was anti-Facebook for a long time, and I still don't like it that much, but I realized that it's a very useful tool for getting people to come in. You still have to be careful with it. You still have to be uh, careful how it handles you, because that's what a lot of these social media things do. You don't handle them. They handle you. Um, you still have to be careful about those things, but I'm not so hard-headed and so unwilling to change that I won't use some of those things. Uh, but those things have to be things that bring us closer to Christ and that are bringing other people to Christ in a way that is relevant without compromising the truth of the Word of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18 says, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So I'm not, I, I'm willing to change, but that change has to be toward the Bible, it has to be toward God, and not toward the world in order to be worth embracing. 
There's a point underneath there. Change must be toward the Bible and toward God, not toward the world in order to be worth embracing. But sadly, that's what a lot of churches think today. Well, if, if, if we're going to be embraced by the world, if people are going to come in, then we have to change to be like the world. No, if, do you not understand that if we're like the world, then we're not offering them anything different than what they have every single day. We ought to be different. We ought to be offering them something different than everything the devil is offering them every day, right? If they want to go to a concert and listen to rock music, they can go right down here to, what's this, Innsbruck After Hours or whatever that place is. I've never been there. I've never even seen it, but I know it's there. You know, if you want to go listen to a rock concert, go there. Why do you need to come to the church to do it? Then how is there any difference between us and that, you know? There is no difference. We ought to be a peculiar people. We ought to be offering something different than what the world is offering. So it's not that I'm unwilling to change. I will change for the sake of being relevant. But only if that change brings us closer to God and closer to his word. And only if it's bringing us more toward the Bible and God and not toward the world. The fourth thing that our philosophy is not, uh, or our underlying philosophy is not, is it's, it's not because it's an easy thing to do. It's not because soul winning is an easy thing to do. Some pastors and churches, uh, I think, push easy things so they can get as many people on board as possible. And I, I'm guilty to that when it comes to moving people away from being spectators to trying to be involved. We're going to try to do things that everybody can be involved in. But that's not why I push soul winning. That's not why we, we emphasize soul winning here. Because soul winning is not easy. Soul winning is not an easy thing. Um, it's, it's hard to learn how to be bold for Christ. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's a dedication of time to the Lord. It's, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. It, it involves overcoming that personal fear of rejection. It involves overcoming the weight of excuses. It involves overcoming the spiritual attack of hell. The devil doesn't want you out there knocking on doors and winning people to Christ. And so he's going to put every excuse in your mind that you can think of to keep you from doing it. It's not an easy thing to do. It'd be a lot easier to get the church all motivated and wound up about fighting world hunger or, you know, drug addiction or some immediate, visible, emotionally affecting cause. And that's what a lot of churches do. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not opposed to churches that are, that are trying to reach out and help people. I would much rather the church do it than the government. Um, but, you know, so many people rally around, oh, we're doing a missions trip and we're going over here to dig wells for people. And Great, but how many of those people are you going to try to win to Christ while you're there? That's the whole point of why we do those things. So it's not because it's an easy thing to do. Uh, the fifth thing is it's not because I have a persecution complex. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Yes, soul winning is hard. Yes, it's unpopular. Yes, it gets criticized. And some are only going to do it for those reasons. There are plenty of people out there who have this persecution complex. They don't feel spiritual unless they're being attacked for the faith. And the Bible does say that in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's part of it. If you're going to live godly for Jesus Christ, people are going to make fun of you. And, and look, our, our persecution in America is not persecution. It's a little bit of uncomfortable you know, whatever, but, but people in other parts of the world are suffering persecution. When you're getting hung, when you're getting burned alive, when you're getting shot in the head, when you're getting your head cut off because you're preaching Christ, that's persecution. We don't know anything about persecution in America, uh, but we do get criticized for it, and we do, you know, uh, you know, people get upset at, you know, somebody that's out there on the corner preaching, you know, on the street and things like that, and, 
you know, some people only do it for those reasons. They, so they do something, they promote something, they push something just so they will get attacked so that they can claim that they're being persecuted for the cause of Jesus Christ. That's not why we go soul winning. That's not my motive behind why we emphasize soul winning in this church. Now, here's another thing. It's not so we can claim big numbers and impress other churches and preachers. I am, I'm guilty of fellowshipping with very few other preachers. I probably should do it more. Um, but some people need that fellowship. They need other preachers to tell them that they're doing a good job and all that. I'm not against that, but to me, a lot of that feels fake. And, and quite honestly, I don't need their approval to tell me that I'm doing a good job. You know, I want Christ's approval. I want him to tell me that I'm doing a good job. And I don't need, I don't need other people to tell me that, you know. There's nothing wrong with pastors' fellowships and things like this. There's, there's a huge one right in this area, the, the Atlantic Independent Baptist Fellowship. There's a lot of pastors that go to that. I've been there once, and that was, you know, it's, that was not bad. There was nothing I was opposed to with that. It's just... You know, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I don't need that necessarily. I have a couple of good friends, you know, uh, in the ministry that, are, that, that I can call up on the phone and talk to. And, and to me, I feel like that's all I need. And, and beyond that, I have all the friends that I need right here in this church. Why do I need to go outside to find people to fellowship with? You know, I got plenty of good, godly Christian people right here uh, who are my friends but what happens is that soul winning turns into a numbers game just for the sake of being able to say, we saw this many people saved. We had this many people in church. We had this many people baptized, you know. Uh, and I think, it was, I think it was a bigger problem 20, 30 years ago than it is today. But there's still people that are out there publishing their numbers so everybody knows how many they had. We were the fastest growing Sunday school. We were the fastest growing this. We had this number of people saved this, this year. Turn over to Matthew chapter 6. I, I, I contemplated bringing this letter in and reading it to you. I decided not to, but uh, I, I get a letter from this, uh, a, a prayer letter from a missionary. He's a missionary in Mexico. I don't know him. Uh, somehow I got on his mailing list, and he sends me, a, he sends me a, a prayer letter every couple months. But it's, it's, it's almost a joke um, to read through his letter because, and I'm not, I'm not lying, um, Mexico would be an entirely Christian nation if everybody that got saved in this guy's prayer letter actually got saved. Uh, I mean, and, and here we are, you know, we're excited, thrilled if we can have a soul or two or three saved a month. And here he's putting out these prayer letters that we had 2,000 people that showed up to this meeting and 1,600 of them raised their hand that they were getting saved. 1,600 people at one time getting saved? I mean, obviously, it happened at Pentecost, but what a, why are those people not growing in Christ? Why, are, why is the entire nation of Mexico not, not Christian, you know? And, and just, it, it really is just throwing numbers around. We went into three other churches, and, and this is, I mean, I'm not quoting directly, but almost. We went into three other churches, and, and this church had 174 saved, this one had 398 saved, and this one had 422 saved. I mean, that's, that's how he's reporting. Just, just numbers, you know? And it's, it's for the sake of saying we had this many people saved. And that's not why we go soul winning. It's not so we can brag about how many people we had. It's not so we can claim big numbers and impress other brethren. And, of course, you know, that a lot of people use that as an excuse when nobody's getting saved. Well, we're not doing it for the numbers anyway, so it doesn't matter how many people we have get saved. No, we, we want people to get saved, and we want people to come, and we want people to grow in Christ. We want people to get baptized and all of these things, but... We don't publish our numbers anywhere. I put it in the bulletin. 
um, for us so that we can know where we are. I keep track of all of our numbers and stuff. I want, I want to be better than we were last year. I want more people to be here than we're last year. I want more people to get saved this year than last year. But nobody else sees that other than us. You know, it's, 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 it's not for that. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6 in verse number 2, Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, in other words, when you give, but this principle applies to everything, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. See, what these Pharisees were doing was they were having somebody walk in front of them and blaring a trumpet and letting everybody know they were on their way to the temple to give their large amounts of money. And Jesus is saying, that is not what your motive ought to be behind why you give or why you do anything. You have your reward, okay? Your reward is that people are going to look at you and they're going to be impressed with all the money that you're given and all the people that you say you're winning to Christ and everything else. But your reward in heaven is going to be small because God judges our motives as well as our actions. And if our motives are not right, it doesn't matter what our actions say, it's not pleasing to him. So we keep track, like I said, of how many come. I, I want to reach more people, but I seriously doubt our, ever, our church is ever going to become a model church. I seriously doubt if I'm ever going to become a famous pastor that people are trying to imitate and emulate and everything else. So we're not building a nationwide ministry either for me or for this church. We have no need of numbers to impress people because people, by and large, don't even know that we exist. We're not emphasizing soul winning so that we can say how many people we had saved, how many people we had baptized. So if all of those things are reasons why we don't do those things, then why do we embrace and emphasize so many? What is the underlying philosophy? Well, turn over to Mark chapter 16. Number one, it's to obey God. It's to obey God. Mark chapter 16, and of course this very, uh, very closely mirrors Matthew 28, 19 and 20, but Mark chapter 16 and verse number 15, and he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, I don't believe the Great Commission was only given to the apostles. An apostle was somebody who had to have seen the risen Christ. They had to have seen Christ after he rose from the dead. That was, the, that was what the apostles were. I don't believe that he gave the Great Commission only to the apostles. I believe it was given to the church. The seed of the church was planted in Jesus' day. You can look at Matthew 16 through 18. You know, um, he, gave, he gave them that authority. He gave them that power uh, to, to, you know, to establish a church. And then I believe the church was birthed at Pentecost, but the seeds were established during Jesus' day. And so when Jesus is getting ready to ascend back to heaven... Now, Jesus, Jesus uh, appeared after his resurrection to a lot of people, once to a crowd of over 500 people at once. You can read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, right after uh, um, the ascension, there was 120 people gathered in the upper room in Jerusalem, and it's clear from Acts that every member of that church took the responsibility seriously to be a witness for Jesus Christ, um, not just the apostles. In other words, in fact, turn over to Acts chapter 8. Boy, the book of Acts is just so inspiring. Uh, as far as what a church ought to be and what we ought to be doing. But Acts chapter 8 talks exactly about this. If, if, the, if the Great Commission was only given to the apostles, which is who Jesus was talking to when he was saying the words in Mark chapter 16, if he was only talking to the apostles, then you wouldn't have what you have happening here in Acts chapter 8. It's, it's very clear from the book of Acts that every one of those people 
felt a personal responsibility to go out and share the message of the gospel. Acts chapter 8 and verse number 4. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Now, there was great persecution that came on the church at Jerusalem. And because of the persecution at Jerusalem, they scattered. They, they either stay there and be killed or they move. And it was by design. God, God was using that to just throw, the, throw the, uh, the, the seeds up in the air and let them spread out throughout the rest of the world. And wherever they landed, those people didn't say, boy, I sure hope an apostle comes and shares the gospel with these people. They need it. That's not what they did. Wherever they landed, they started sharing the gospel with everybody around them. And that's exactly what's happening in Acts chapter 8. And so I believe that the Great Commission was entrusted to our church. I believe that the Great Commission was entrusted to me. I believe the Great Commission was entrusted to you. It was entrusted to us, you and me. And I want to make sure that we obey God in following that Great Commission. That's the underlying philosophy of why we emphasize soul winning. I want to obey God. But another reason is to reach the world before it's too late. To reach the world before it's too late. You know, the need is, is staggering. I did some, a little bit of research, and I just, I mean, I could go in so many different directions with this, but think about this. There are 328,000 people in Henrico County. 328,000 people. Now, I've talked about this before, but could you imagine if we were able to establish 30 churches, we could put 10,000 people in every one of those churches and still not reach everybody in this county. 30 churches with 10,000 people in them. Do you realize how small of a fraction of people we're reaching? Doesn't even include Goochland. Doesn't even include, you know, Powhatan. Doesn't even include Midlothian and some of these other areas that are actually close enough for us to be able to reach people. 328,000 people in Henrico County alone. There are over 331 million people in the United States. 331 million people. Almost 8 billion people in the world. I did some math. During this service alone, there's going to be over 15,000 people that will be born. And in that same amount of time, almost 7,000 people are going to die. 7,000 people in the time that we're here are going to pass into eternity. Can you imagine that? I wonder how many of those 7,000 do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. I venture to say there's probably a huge percentage of them that don't. It took the world 5,800 years to get to 1 billion people. Now, if you believe the account of creation, the earth is not more than 7,000 years old. It took us 5,800 years to get to 1 billion people. And then it only took another 123 years to get to 2 billion people. And now we're growing at a rate of 1 billion people every 15 years. So in another 15 years, we'll be at 9 billion people. If you do the math and multiply all those things out, that means that 55.3 million people are dying every year. 55.3 million people a year. The need is staggering. We grow at a rate of over a billion people every 15 years, and most of those are, are being born into countries that have no idea who Jesus Christ even is, let alone the fact that they have people that are there witnessing to them about Jesus Christ. The need is staggering. We emphasize soul winning because we have to reach the world before it's too late. If ever in the history of mankind and in the history of Christianity, we cannot afford to sit on our hands and watch the world die 
and go to hell. They're not going to come to us. Oh, sure, you know, you might get a good handful of them out for a special service or something like that. They're not going to come to us. We have to go to them. We have to go to them. That's exactly what the Bible says. Go ye into all the world. It doesn't say, let the world come to you and preach the gospel. He says, go ye into all the world. That's why we emphasize soul winning. We have to obey God, but the time is short. We need to reach the world before it's too late. And then the last thing, the last reason why we emphasize soul winning, turn over to 2 Peter chapter 3. It's to grow the individual Christian in grace. It's to grow the individual Christian in grace. At first, as a baby Christian, growth is, is slow. It's jagged. It's, it's, not, it's, it's, it's slow growing. But that growth at first, is, it comes in a desire for God. But then, you know, they might hold on to bad music for a long time. Or, you know, they grow in a desire for fellowship with God's people, but sometimes they still have the materialistic mindset. And, and, and look, like the Bible says, such were some of you. We were all in that position before, right? We get saved and we have a lot of things to learn. We have a lot of ways to grow. We have a lot of things that we need to learn from the word of God. And it takes some time to get us to that point. But as we move on to maturity as a Christian, the same way that a, a baby does, right? I mean, if you think about uh, Tori sitting back there drinking a bottle, that's perfectly normal right now, right? But if JJ was sitting here drinking a bottle, you'd think, all right, something's not right with that guy right? Because the older you get, the more you mature, you're just expected to grow up. And that's exactly, so the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Now I'm not going to take the time to go back and look at the passages. You know the passage as well. It says when you were a babe in Christ, you could handle the milk and that was all you could handle. But now he says, the more you mature in Christ, the more you grow in Christ, you need to handle the meat, right? A baby is perfectly fine to handle milk. And if you try to feed a baby a steak, you'd be making a big mistake, right? Because a baby cannot handle a steak. But the same is true of a Christian who gets older and older and older and older in Christ and never grows spiritually. You can't, stink, you, you, you can't sit and drink the milk for your entire life as a Christian. There comes a time when you have to eat the meat, and that's what growing in grace is all about. So, as we move on to maturity, in order to continue to grow, that growth has to be more even. It can't be just this jagged growth, you know? In other words, to grow in one area requires growth in another area. Uh, growing in prayer requires growing in holiness. The more you grow, the, the more you learn to pray, the more holy you're going to be, and vice versa. The, holier you're, the, the, the more holy you get before God, the more you're going to pray. At least it should be that way. Growing in service requires growing in evangelism and studying the word of God. Growing together as a family requires holiness. They're, they all fit together. They're all one and the same. And on and on and on that list goes. They're all connected to each other. Mature Christians are not mature if they're severely stunted in one area. And that's why I say it's so important that we emphasize soul winning. Soul winning is a very important area of emphasis in the Bible. And we can try to grow in prayer, and we can try to grow in holiness, and we can try to grow in all of these other things. But if we're not growing in personal evangelism, then all of these other areas can't grow to the, to the length that they need to be as well. You can't really grow in prayer until you get a heart for the lost. 
can't really grow in holiness until you have a desire to tell other people about the holiness of God and about Jesus Christ, right? So a, a lack in one area is going to negatively impact other areas and actually even cause backsliding. Now turn over to James chapter 4, and we'll be done. But when a Christian moves from salvation to being a babe in Christ, as the Bible describes it, he can have whole gaps in, in his application and his knowledge of, of the, the Holy Spirit will continue to teach him those things. But when a Christian moves on toward maturity, the whole man has to be elevated spiritually together. You can't remain a babe in Christ in one or two areas and be mature in Christ in all these other areas. You have to mature as a whole person. It's the same. I mean, look, it, it's exactly like a baby. Look, uh, if, if, okay, we'll use Tori as an example. She's got short little arms right now, right? Now, let's say everything on her grows normally except her arms, right? Now, I'm not trying to make fun of somebody that actually has a, you know, a physical problem or something like that because that happens, but think about that. What if Tori grew up to be an adult with arms that were this long and hands that were the same, you know, the same proportion to her arms? It, it would just be weird. It wouldn't be normal, right? And that's what we're saying is you cannot have those, you, you can't have a spiritually mature Christian who is completely proportioned in every other area but then in the area of evangelism is just an immature babe in Christ. So that's why we emphasize evangelism, because it helps us as Christians to grow in grace. The more you tell other people about Jesus Christ, the more you're going to want to study the word of God so that you know what you're talking about when you talk to somebody. Amen. Right. The more you emphasize evangelism in your own life, the more you're going to say, boy, people are looking at me now because I'm telling them that they need to do this. I better be holy. Oh, yeah. Right. The more you start to tell other people about Jesus Christ, the more you get a burden and desire to pray for those people to be saved. All of these areas grow together. And in order for us to be a mature Christian in Christ, all of the areas have to be growing at the same rate. That's why we emphasize evangelism. God is in the business of developing mature Christians as complete, well-rounded Christians. That's what he wants us to be. He wants us to have strength, certainly, but not with huge gaps like a baby Christian would have. Bible says in James chapter 1 and verse 4, but let patience have her perfect work that she may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now, it doesn't say that we can get to sinless perfection. None of us are ever going to get there. We ought to try. We ought to strive for that. But that word perfect means complete. It means mature. And it's so he says, let patience have her perfect work. It takes time. It takes time. But. We're trying to get to the point where we can be complete, where we can be mature and entire and wanting nothing. Practically speaking, then, I'm not going to continue to develop your prayer life. I'm not going to continue to develop holiness in your life. I'm not going to continue to develop your giving, your Bible study, your serving in ministries, your, your knowledge of God, if we're not also growing in our evangelism, if we're not also growing in that desire to tell other people about Jesus Christ. And if we're not growing in that emphasis on soul winning, but to develop this, the, all of us in this church as mature Christians, then we have to take seriously, and I have to take seriously, and I have to emphasize following the Great Commission. Otherwise, I'm not doing what I should be doing with you and helping you to be everything that God wants you to be. We have to personally develop in all the spiritual graces in order to continue to maturity. So I emphasize soul winning in order to help the spiritual ones in our church to continue to grow in grace. 
in every area of their Christian life. It's so important to have the right motives for soul winning because if our motives are wrong, then everything else is going to be wrong. And if we're doing it because we're trying to gain notoriety or because we're trying to have a huge church or because we're trying to let everybody else know this is what we're doing and this is how we're doing it and all the other reasons that we talked about about why we don't emphasize soul winning, those are all for the wrong motives. And if we're doing it with the wrong motives, then none of it can be right. God cannot bless us when our motives are not right and he knows our heart. So next week, we're going to take a step back and look kind of at a brief history of soul winning. How did it get to where we are today? Um, that'll be a very helpful uh, lesson, I believe, in um, our understanding of the importance of soul winning. Uh, but we'll get to that next week. All right? Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. I thank you for the time we can spend together around your word. I thank you for the freedom that we have to be able to do that. God, I pray that you'd help us to take seriously this opportunity that we have to share the gospel. I don't know what's going to happen in our world, but there's a very good possibility that in 10, 15, 20 years, it's going to be illegal to be sharing the message of the gospel. Boy, we're going to wish, we're going to wish that we could come back to this time and have the opportunity to just tell people freely about Jesus Christ. I pray that you'd help us to do that. I pray that you'd help us to take our job seriously. I pray that you'd help us to be the witness for you that you want us to be. Thank you for everything that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.